Some people call it the all-star break. I call it three days without real baseball. We'll talk about that and more with Jeff Erickson from Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Today. He's the co-founder of rotowire.com. Coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 14th. It's show number 42 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and we have another great Tuesday Tout show for you. We'll talk with Jeff Erickson. You'll know him from SiriusXM Fantasy Sports today. He's also the co-founder of Rotowire.com. We'll be asking Jeff about the fantasy baseball first half, what to do during the three days off, A.J. Pollock, injured stars, of course a little cricket, facts and flukes, and more. We'll also have commentaries from the expert analysts at BaseballHQ.com. In our playing time commentary, Ryan Bloomfield looks at the closer situation in the National League West. And in our frequent flyers comment, Alex Becky looks at Jesus Montero, Rob Refsnyder, and Carl Crawford, a blast from the past. It's another big Tuesday tout show. Thanks for joining us at Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? It's a three-day break from baseball. So, somewhat paradoxically, we gotta talk some baseball. And in the first inning of this Tuesday Tout Edition, our feature expert interview. From SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Today, the co-founder of Rotowire.com, it's Jeff Erickson. Jeff, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. It's been too long. Indeed, indeed it has. Uh, happy to do it again. Great to talk to you, Patrick. Yeah, it's great to talk to you as well. Uh, before we get started, how are your fantasy baseball teams doing? They're good. They're good. Um, I, my NFBC team started off slowly. Uh, I had two ca- lost both catchers in week one. That's always fun. Uh, in a league where you have no DL spots, too, so you're, you're scrambling to manage your, your reserve roster spots that you like to stream pitchers in and out of, as well as guys that maybe you think are going to come on and pick up playing time over the course of the year, along with stashing all these injured guys. When you d- drop two guys like that, I renamed my team the Spinal Tap Outfielders. I'm down to one of my original five outfielders, but I'm in fifth place in my league, main event league there, so that's pretty good. Tout Wars, I've been competitive all year. That's always good. Home leagues, I'm doing well, so it's, it's been a good year. You call them the Spinal Tap because they're blowing up like Spinal Tap drummers, I, pr- I expect? Yes, that's right. Well, it sounds like you've got your teams turned up to 11. Uh, you're also one of the guys who has already won a ticket to the tournament final in the Tout Wars Daily game at FanDuel.com. I thought this was a, an interesting hybrid in the daily sphere, if you like. Just on a week-by-week basis, it plays like a tournament event. There's a small number of guys. The usual strategy would be to play uh, higher-risk, higher-reward type guys. But because we're also all chasing a shot at the final, which was based on a four-week total, that made it play more to like a cash game, a standard 50-50 type game, I should say. What was your strategy going into the overall tournament to get that golden ticket? Uh, just <laughs> trying to put together the best lineup each week. And I, I don't always agree that uh, stacking or you know doing a tournament lineup is always the best move just to maximize. Sometimes you're better off picking guys off left and right. There are people that know DFS better than I do, and this is a year I've been trying to immerse myself in. I'm playing a lot more than I ever did before. Last year I dipped my toes in the pool. This year I'm taking swimming lessons. And I'm still in the shallow end, but uh, it worked out pretty well that first week. And you're absolutely right, though, that it is... uh, it, it you know it is a, a week to week thing, and the, you don't you don't really want to. Maybe you will go a little less volatile. Um, and but you know once you secure that ticket, you're, I was trying to secure others, so I, I tried to go a little bit more volatile later on, and that hasn't worked out as well. So we'll see what happens there. But I, I love that. I love like the platforms that offer survivor contests, which are multi day contests. Right. I think that idea is fantastic. Keeps you engaged in, uh, over a couple uh, over multiple days, and that that is one of the things I do like. That appeals to me as a season-long player, right? And it rewards you for uh, for having some staying power and reduces the role of chance in the outcomes. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. Although I'm I'm of the camp that this is a skill game. Anyway, um, I think it's a different skill than what we're used to. In that uh, there's a lot more money management involved, um, and that it's not just identifying good players; it's also identifying how all the pieces fit and all that. 
and there's guys that put a lot of time, guys and girls that put a lot of time into this, uh, in the preseason, for that matter, building their algorithms, building their, you know, building their programs, uh, in addition to just studying the player pool. So, you know, I, I'm not of the belief that this is a luck game at all. Well, there, there's uh, some element of luck in all of our games, even the season-long ones. But we also we don't have to deal with chasing closers. We don't, we don't have to chase saves. We don't have to chase a specific category. That's refreshing. Just finding good players. I like that. I've never heard that uh, argument before, but it's uh, it's actually a pretty compelling one, especially for people who insist that season-long fantasy baseball is a much more uh, skill-oriented game and there's no luck in it. I mean, the fact that we have to chase these closers especially, but also chasing pitcher wins, it, those are very luck-oriented things, and it's very easy to spend 30 or $35 at draft to pick up two or three closers and then have all three of them fail, get hurt, lose the job. I mean, there's a lot of luck in it that you really can't predict, and that's the essence of chance versus skill is the predictability of it. Yeah, yeah you can always go with Mario Rivera. No one got broke investing in him. Uh, but more often than not, you get guys like Dylan Batances, who looks like he's got the job, but didn't really, and then didn't at all. And then he did get the job for a while, and now Andrew Miller's back, and who knows how they're going to play it out the rest of the way. And yeah, there, there's that too. So that's okay. I mean, I, you know, I, I just I, I think we have to be adaptable anyhow, too. That's the other thing. that even you, you need to kind of figure out, okay, what are my chances of him losing the job? What can I do about it if he does? And that's all part of the game, too. Before we go on and talk more about fantasy baseball, I know you're in Las Vegas. You just had one of the first fantasy football drafts of the year. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into the other game for fear of heads exploding all over our listener base, but uh, how did your draft go? It was an auction. It went well. It's a lot of fun. It's the Stopa Law Firm Auction League. Our buddy Mark Stopa runs it. Um, he does some great stuff down in Florida, so we always kind of do this league with him. Anyhow, um, and it, it worked out really well. I went a little stars and scrubs with this. Uh, bought Aaron Rodgers, I bought Le'Veon Bell, so it was a lot of fun. Just so we know, uh, what is the salary cap for an auction league in fantasy football, and how much did you spend on those two stars? Well, that's the thing. It's not very well defined. Some people play 100, some people play 200, some people mere, you know, have aped baseball and done 260. This one was 200. Uh, I think I paid 41 for Rodgers, which was $7 less than Andrew Luck. I was very happy about that. Uh, and Le'Veon Bell is around the same. Um and, you know, he's got the suspension to start the season. Otherwise, he'd go over 50 typically. Uh, and the, the couple of running backs did go over 50 bucks. When it comes to fantasy football, it seems like there's so many more formats than there is fantasy baseball that it might uh, at least somewhat defy the ability to come up with strategies that cross every kind of game. There's, uh, I know some games, there's a, you get some kind of points for every reception by a, by a player, regardless of his position, and in others, it's, it's points uh, that make quarterbacks more valuable or running backs more valuable or even receivers more valuable. Uh, is there ever going to be some kind of coalescing, do you think, in the game that more standardizes how it's scored? I hope not. I like the difference. It makes it, you know, it makes every draft fresh. I don't want everything to be the same. I mean, look at Tout Wars. AL Tout Wars plays so much differently than mixed Tout Wars in the auction. Uh, figuring out the, value, the values in a mixed league auction are all over the map, and that's it, that's for a reason. It depends on the room a lot. Uh, I like that. Viva la difference. I like the fact that in some leagues we can start two quarterbacks. Uh, and uh, gets out of the rut. Um, give me, give me options. Give me different options to play. I think part of the skill and fantasy is figuring out what format you play and how to best attack it. The more standardized you make it, the, the less it's more autopilot for everyone, and it takes away a skill element. Give me, give, me the, give me the little wrinkles. Well said, Jeff. I agree with you. I think it's fun to play all kinds of different formats, even different games. I know uh, there's lots of fantasy players who don't play score sheet, who've never played any kind of Sims or the big uh, salary cap games, and it seems like in that respect a lot of people are missing their chance to at least try something out which forces you to get outside your box and i think the the benefit of it is by playing score sheet it makes you a better rotisserie player and vice versa yeah absolutely i adore score sheet it's great uh you know i, I again not chasing saves i just find good relievers period right if they happen to be closers that's fine but you know you're not worried about that you're not worried on managerial whim so much as you're looking identifying the player's skills. Now, in score sheet, you're identifying more like on base as a skill, whereas in a lot of standard roto leagues, you're not. Um, it, it's a tool in standard roto leagues. It's a tool that helps project performance, whereas in score sheet and other sim games, it is life. You know, <laughs> you get guys that get on base. 
I've heard that mantra on base percentages, life in other contexts as well, uh, among people who really follow baseball closely. Uh, Joe Sheehan among them, our mutual friend. Uh, talking about fantasy baseball, the year to date, we just ran our annual first half uh, Baseball HQ Radio Roundtable podcast, and I'd like to piggyback on that by getting your take on some of the categories. First, what did you think was the big fantasy story that came out of the first half? Uh, one, injuries to key players, Giancarlo Stanton, Miguel Cabrera, George Springer, all within about a week and a half of each other. I have one league where I have Miggy and Springer in an AL-only league. That was fun. Um, but the other is just the emergence of, you know, young talent. Uh, Bryce Harper finally staying healthy, fulfilling his potential. Love seeing that after seeing, like, you know, he's 22, and I heard people at the draft, uh, on draft days saying, like, when's he finally going to put it together? Finally? Yeah. 22. He just, yes, it's his fourth year, but at the same time, he's 22. Love seeing that he's, that, that potential being fulfilled. Uh, and then all these rookies that are coming in and doing great things. I love seeing that. A lot of new blood in the game, and that, I think that's always, that's always a fun thing. You're getting so many good young stars right now. I asked Rob Gordon, uh, BaseballHQ.com's uh, scouting expert, about this particular year with Chris Bryan and Correa and all of these tremendous offensive prospects and some decent pitching prospects as well, a huge number of them, as you say. And I asked him if this is a harbinger of things to come or whether this is kind of an outlier year. And he leaned towards the idea that it's an outlier year. We're not going to see you know, 10 or 12 or even 6 or 8 top prospects come up next year or the year after. It's going to ebb and it's going to flow. What do you think? I think he's probably right about that. You know, the last two years we've been chasing the next Trout and Harper and Machado, and we got disappointed. You know, we, when say we got Jerks and Profar who, you know, stalled three, four times and still isn't back, you know, it happens. Um, I, I think one thing we might see, and I'm, I'm hoping that we see this, is that teams are less hesitant to call people up, uh, call, call their prospects up if they happen to be contending. Uh, I, I think in, instead of worrying, for, for instance, on, you know, service time issues as much. That's one thing I would hope to see, but it all depends. I think you're going to see like what the, the Cubs do with Chris Bryant, you'll see more often than not, uh, but you will hopefully less worry about the arbitration issue as much. And of course, the possibility exists that when the uh, CBA expires, there may be changes to those rules anyway, which ho- we hope will uh, will encourage the teams to be more aggressive in promoting their, their talent. Also, I think that the uh, aspect of more teams being in the race later into the year will also help encourage them to promote guys. Uh, the Cubs came in, they must have looked around that division and said, geez, we could, we could easily catch a playoff spot. We're going to bring Bryant up. Yeah, and Addison Russell. Right. They were aggressive about that, and I appreciate that about them. Now, Russell's bad, uh, obviously hasn't done a whole lot, but that's not why he's up anyhow. You know, it's, it's just a matter of time before he's at shortstop, with, given how poorly Starling Castro's hitting, too that you'll see that switch over a little bit there because Russell's clearly a superior defender, too. But, uh, yeah, I like seeing that, you know, the, the Cubs contend. I like seeing that, you know, the, the Twins, even though I, I, I feel like I was wrong about the Twins uh, contending, I like seeing that they're contending. Um, you know, it's good for baseball. It also creates another one of those wrinkles that you like uh, in that at the draft, it didn't used to be the case that you'd spend actual money on a potential prospect coming up. But at Tout Wars this year in the Mixed League and, uh, and in the National League League, uh, Chris Bryant was drafted for money in the expectation that he would get called up, which is almost unthinkable even a couple of years ago. He was, but... He was obvious. No, but, you know, seeing like Chris List by Byron Buxton and in, the, uh, in the league, you know, I... Four years ago, I bought Trout for like three or four bucks, and obviously that paid off handsomely. So you see a couple of guys going like that. It's just it's how much money you're seeing. With Bryant, you're, you're treating him like he, you knew he was coming up after two and a half weeks, and he did. Um, the question was, was it going to be a full month or was it going to be like a couple of weeks? And it was the shortest possible period of time with right. Bryant. So and he, he was, I think, an outlier example, though, too. Uh, well, in the tout mix, Jock Peterson, I think, was bought for actual money as well, 10 or $11. That was not as cut and dried, I, I think, of, of an example. I, I just hope it keeps happening because I think it makes the auction more interesting. How aggressive is somebody going to be chasing after a prospect who's supposed to come up, but is certainly nowhere near a, a lock for playing time like an established player? Right. I, I hope so, too. Looking at the players so far, who do you think is the most outstanding fantasy player of the first half? Paul Goldschmidt, probably. Yeah. Can't go wrong with what he's done so far. Uh, every single category. The fact that he has 16 stolen bases is just mind-blowing to me. Uh, you know, I expected him to maybe slow down a little bit, and if anything, he's run a lot more, and that, that blows me away. 
Of course, uh, in the second half, those stolen bases, number 10, to, tend to decline a little bit. Uh, anybody else catch your eye this year? Uh, we got some votes for Bryce Harper. We heard Max Scherzer's name. Uh, those guys are all having outstanding years as well. Oh, absolutely. Can, you know, I, but if, in, if I'm drafting a day, I'm still drafting Trout first. Uh, I don't think there's a whole – I mean, Trout's right there with Harper and Goldschmidt in, in terms of who's been most valuable so far if you just run the formulas and see, you know, just add up the numbers. Uh, seeing Nolan Arenado move into the first round was pretty eye-opening to me. I mean, without any stolen bases, no less. Uh, that, that, and, and that, that's pretty eye-opening. Uh, I think he's like end of the first you – know, at least in terms of what he's done so far, in terms of dollars earned, he's there. Would I do that? Eh, I'd like to get some stolen bases. I'd, I hate leaving one category off the table there when I'm getting a guy in the first round. But yeah, he, he's he's taken that next step. Remember when we were wondering whether he'd ever hit for power? I, I think that's pretty funny. It's interesting to see these young players coming up, and of course they're pushing guys out of the first round. Uh, one of them, I think, is probably going to get pushed well out of the first round is Robinson Cano. He got about half the votes in our biggest bust of the half season at Baseball HQ Radio's roundtable, along with Ian Desmond. So I've got a two-part question about the bust of the uh, half season so far. Which of uh, Cano or Desmond or somebody else gets your vote as bust of the half, and which of them do you think is a better rebound candidate for the second half? Uh, Cano is my bust of the half because he was less foreseeable. I mean, we all knew that the power dropped off last year a little bit at uh, a, a decent amount last year in Seattle, and Seattle wasn't going to help him. But to see his batting eye collapse like this was really kind of disappointing. Now we're hearing that he's been weaker, he's dealing with this stomach ailment, and now there's an explanation at least. So, uh, and I also think that if they get that fixed, you know, he can be a little bit that we can see a rebound from him. Whereas with Ian Desmond, the signs were there. I mean, the strikeout rate's terrible. It always has been terrible. Uh, as you get older, you get a little. Your back is just a little bit slower. Uh, you start to, you know, maybe perhaps you start to push a little bit more. And I think that's kind of what happened uh, with him. And I think he's got less of a chance of bouncing back. He's also, I think, he's feeling the pressure of a contract year and all that. He's kind of got that Andrew Jones sort of feel. Remember when, you know, a lot of people were investing in Andrew Jones and his contract year, his walk year with the Braves. And it worked opposite of what people expected. And I, you know, that he was actually someone that did a lot worse in his walk here. And I think that's why it's dangerous to use factors like that. Anything that's a, a motivational factor, I try to not use too much when I'm trying to do my fantasy analysis. Boy, I'm with you. Uh- Picking out facts of a guy's life and saying this is going to have X, Y, or Z effect on his performance. You know, guy gets married, guy gets divorced, guy has kids. You know, all of these kind of outside things that are going on, including, frankly, his uh, contract being up for uh, uh, free agency at the end of a year. Of course, it seems obvious that the guy's going to want to do better, but wanting to do better and doing better are not the same thing. And you see it in spring training all the time. You know, he has this motivational factor. Motive, I mean, they're professional athletes. Motivation's always there. So I, I, I try not to dabble in that. No, I think it's a fool's errand. Uh, are, are you not surprised, though, by the sudden drop-off in stolen bases? We're talking 20-plus uh, for four straight years, including 25 just a few years ago, and 24 last year, five this year, so he's on a pace for roughly 10 or 11. That that seems shocking because speed is not the kind of skill that just drops away like that so quickly. And I know he's older than a traditional base dealer, but he was 28 last year. He's 29 now. It's not like he's running around out there with a walker. No, uh, but he's not running around out there. That's kind of the problem, right? He's yeah. not on base. I think that's the, the big starting point there. He's also batting lower in the order. He batted ninth the other day against the Orioles. Um, hard, to, hard to steal bases when you're batting seventh in the order and you're not getting on base and you're pressing. I mean, uh, yeah, all these things <laughs> point to uh, not much of a rebound. You know, I, I, we explored on the show one time uh, the notion that you should like do a blanket buy low on a lot of these guys, and I still think that might be true to a certain extent. So, I, you know, if someone comes to me with a, a, you know, 50 cents on the dollar, 60 cents on the dollar offer for Ian Desmond, I'll consider it. Um, that I'll still, like, maybe I'll trade for him in that, in that instance. But, uh, you know, at the same time, I'm not that optimistic about a turnaround for him. And who is your fantasy Cy Young in the first half? Uh, Max Scherzer, but if you want to talk about fantasy Cy Young, when you're talking about cost of acquisition, I think you have to bring up Dallas Keuchel, too. Uh, just... He's been so you know so amazing. He's actually adding strikeouts in the last month, maybe the last sixty days even, um, and his cost was negligible at the draft table. 
Just a bucket, Tote Wars mixed, and not much more in uh, Tote AL. Uh, you're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Jeff Erickson from SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Today, and of course from RotoWire.com. And Jeff, most of the fantasy baseball guys I know think of the All Star break as three miserable days when there's no baseball or no real baseball. What's your take? Four days, isn't it now? Didn't they, don't they usually take Thursday off too? It's uh, I. It is miserable that 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 last day. Um, because there's little else to capture our attention. But I have a little, you know, at the same time, I think my perspective is skewed because I work in the fantasy baseball industry, and, you know, I'm here in Vegas. I'm taking a break. I'm actually actively enjoying myself not having to work. So from that standpoint, you know, it's a little bit different. But, yeah, I mean, you can try to watch the minor league all-star games, and that's kind of, uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of unfulfilling, actually, too. <laughs> Because I've become immersed in daily fantasy sports in addition to my season-long leagues, I think I feel a little bit of relief. Chance to take some time away from the pressure, I guess, if nothing else. The break is with us whether we like it or not, although every so often you'll see an argument that says the All-Star game is dumb and we shouldn't have it at all and so on and so forth, especially with regards to pitchers because nobody wants to stick, uh, for instance, Noah Syndergaard out there even for one extra inning in an innings-limited year for him and those kind of issues, but... For now, and for the foreseeable future, we're going to have three or four days off in the middle of the season when nothing is happening. What do you think fantasy owners can do or should do to make the best use of the three days off? It's a good time to figure out what trades you need to make. I mean, sometimes we get so caught up in the fab and setting up, setting our lineups, all that. It's a good time to kind of really take inventory, especially if you're like me and you have multiple teams. Just step back, see what you really need to do to improve your teams. And... I plan on doing that when I get back on Wednesday afternoon to spend some time, um, kind of really break it down, see what you need, you know, what categories you need to attack. I mean, you should always have a good feel for that anyhow, but maybe come up with these specific offers and really start firing away on trade offers. You have a very funny blog at rotowire.com called Charging the Mound, you and Chris Liss, your partner, and our mutual friend Steve Moyer. It's really funny, and, and uh, <laughs> I, re- I really like the way you guys interact. And in the blog, speaking of daily fantasy, you said you've had a good run in the early going of the season, but be- have been in a huge slump. What do you think happened? Oh, a couple things. I think more player people are starting to play, and people get better over time. The competition got better, tougher. FanDuel, I know, specifically lowered their hitter prices in a lot of places, so it became, in a way, harder to differentiate yourself. Uh, the, the, you needed a higher score to win. Hitting actually picked up, too. April was a little low, and then in May it really started to pick up, so you needed to do better. And you needed to actually identify the guys that were going to go, you know, really put up the big days and different, you know, find ways to differentiate yourself. So that was harder. And part of it, Patrick, right. is just a learning curve. You know, I'm still learning daily fantasy sports. There's, there's players out there that you know they that's what they do full time and i think all, the other problem i had was uh, bankroll management i started playing more tournaments going for a bigger score and fewer uh, 50-50 or cash games if you want to call them um and i think that's you kind of kind of ground yourself sometimes say okay pump the brakes here slow down a little bit got a little too much exposure on these tournaments where you need to be in the top 20% instead of the top 50%. I know you guys were also wondering when you were discussing this about the top point scores in those high-dollar tournaments. I contacted FanDuel and I asked them if they had a list of the highest scores ever, and they didn't. They couldn't. They, they said they might be able to figure it out, but didn't have it to hand. But they did send me the links to a bunch of high-roller tournaments, and it looks like you need around 89 or 90 points to win in a, in a tournament where you're competing against good players. I think that's probably true. It, I think a lot of it depends on the night, too. And some, some nights, you know, you get 30 homers in baseball and others you get 15. You know, it's, I, I think that's part of it also. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the one thing, especially on FanDuel, you can't mess up the pitcher. You know, I think that's one of the, uh, the things I've noticed is whoever had the, the best pitcher nights gets you halfway right. to your win, at least to some, some form of cash. You know, and then, and then you have to nail, get five or six homers. And after that, you, you know, or, or get three stolen bases like from D. Gordon or one of those sort of nights. And you have to kind of time that, that market right. And timing the market is always difficult. I know that uh, I've tried playing both ways in the Tout Wars game, and I finally knuckled under and I said, I'm going to take Felix Hernandez tonight. 
I'm going to guarantee myself those points. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he got a third of an inning and eight earned runs. And, uh, and I actually had a really good offensive night. That's the thing that kills me. You know, I had f- seven or eight home runs, a bunch of bags, and it didn't matter uh, at all because I think he was negative for the night, Felix Hernandez. Right. Exactly. It was extremely negative night. And it shows it can happen to anyone. Uh, it's, it's the, the beauty of DFS, though, is that stench doesn't permeate the rest of the year. It's over. It killed you that night, but then you move on. That's certainly true. You also said on your SiriusXM show and on Twitter, you really like Arizona outfielder A.J. Pollock. And indeed, in response to a question, I believe you said you would prefer him for the rest of this year over Nelson Cruz of the Mariners. Why the enthusiasm for A.J. Pollock? Well, because I went out on a limb for him in a lot of my leagues, and he's rewarded me, uh, for one. Uh, you know, he, he's predictable against lefties he crushes lefties that's always nice to know for uh, daily purposes um and i just i just like his game and i like that you know he no longer has to look over his shoulder last year he was crushing it and kirk gibson would bench him occasionally this see even the beginning of this year he'd sit out the arizona had the four outfielders for three spots problem and you know mark trumbo couldn't sit heaven forbid <laughs> um now they traded him got rid of him and that's no longer an issue and his defense is strong he does he's a five category player he actually was a little bit better on a rate stat purpose last year. Uh, I, I think it's sustainable. I, I think he's going to be uh, a guy. And, and with Cruz, you know, he's slowed down since his monster start. Uh, he's, I think he's had, like, what, five, six homers in the last six weeks, maybe less. Um, and I, I, he has been hurt by his home park. Uh, that, that's, you know, those that argue that he hasn't been hurt by his park aren't really looking at the power number, the splits very closely. Uh, and I think he's more susceptible to falling off in the second half, where I think Pollock has a better chance of lasting. Assuming he maintains his current pace, doesn't get hurt, how high do you think A.J. Pollock could go next year? Late second round in a 12-team league. Maybe mid-second round. Uh, it depends on how pitcher friend, pitcher friendly uh, how, how active the uh, teams chase pitchers in the league. As that's always a variable. Like, say, if you play with the NFBC crowd, they're going to go after starting pitching a little bit more aggressively than they are in, say, uh, the FSTA draft in January. Uh, Pollock uh, is a guy, though, I mean, it's five-category players are hard to find. And he, he's going to get you 15 to 20 homers and probably 20, you know, 20 to 30 stolen bases is pretty bankable. And... I, I think that that's, and I think the, the batting average is legit. You guys also talked about the potential trade value of injured impact players. You mentioned Miguel Cabrera on your own team, but Alex Gordon's been hurt, George Springer. All of these guys have had fairly serious injuries, and their return times are fairly nebulous at this point. We don't know if and or when they're going to come back. And you made an interesting case that these players might make intriguing trade targets. And I'm wondering, under what circumstances do you think an owner should or could be inquiring about getting a hold of Miguel Cabrera now, given all the uncertainty? I think if you're a second or third place team, or even a first place team, it's a great time to go trade for him. And if you, especially if you have a DL spot uh, to stash him and you can wait it out. If you're chasing, you obviously have to liquidate, because you can't afford to, to wait any time. You need production, period. So in a, one league where I am having a, a rougher season, uh, the Yahoo Friends and Family League, it's uh, an, another industry league. I had to trade him. I sold I sold him for Matt Holiday, which actually you know has turned. I don't know if that's I could have maybe done better, but you know I waited ten days to get any sort of offers, uh, and that was the only one I got really. Um, and I expect Holiday to come back after the break, although I was kind of hoping to come back this previous weekend instead. Uh, I, I could have maybe done better as the takeaway, but it was really my only option i just can't wait i need production for six more weeks and who knows you know miggy might take longer to recover you know the ankle injury was worse last right. year than people realized i i wonder maybe the same will be true with the quad uh with george springer i'm even more motivated to sell because of the type of injury it's a wrist injury and we know what happens to players with wrist injuries and hand injuries and the like that they tend to take long you know once once they're back they're not necessarily even back uh and that's something to watch for too uh same with and Stanton too, for that matter. Uh, all these, Stanton, it's a hammock bone, and they removed it, so that actually is a little bit better. It's not something he has to 
once he's recovered, it should be recovered. I'm a little bit more encouraged by him than I am with uh, Springer. But you're right about those hand and wrist injuries, especially for power hitters. Uh, the the uh, recovery time, it, I can easily foresee George Springer coming back and being a useful player for the Astros in real baseball, but I can see his, his power lagging his actual return by weeks. Uh, you and Chris also discussed a team that you have, I believe, together that has applied a very reliever-heavy pitching staff. Uh, what sort of league is it? How is the strategy working? Oh, that's Chris. Uh, that's uh, Chris and Dalton Del Don from Yahoo are doing that. There's something called the League of Leagues. It's run by Jonah Carey, uh, and I think it, this is it's a it's a super unique format. It doesn't really apply to anything else because it's not just baseball. It's baseball, football, basketball, and I think even hockey that they do together. Um, and so it, they were they're just trying they're they're punting wins and strikeouts just to dominate the ratios and, and saves. So. Eh, I, I think it's working well for him, but I'm not really that type piped into that league. And the format, as you say, may, plays a huge role in that because you're just trying to amass points. In a way, it's kind of analogous to how the Tout Wars daily game works. You don't need to win any particular league, just like you don't need to win any particular week in the Tout Wars daily, but you do want to aggregate a lot of points. And so if you can pick up 15s in your ERA and your whip, then that contributes to your overall score when you total it up with all your football and basketball and whatever else is going on. Uh, Jeff, in the past, you and I have discussed the closer role and whether it's going to change in the foreseeable future. And I I know I got my hopes up when I saw Kevin Cash starting to be a little bit experimental with how he was using starting pitchers and then uh, and then also with his willingness to be a little bit more flexible in the back end of the bullpen. So I'm really interested right now in how the da- Rays are dealing with Jake McGee versus Brad Boxberger. What do you think is going on there, and what do you think the potential is that we're going to see something that, for baseball at least, would be innovative? Uh, I think it's going to be very slow. Uh, because players are still paid on the save rule and all that for the most part. Uh, and I, I, until teams kind of realize that, hey, maybe they can even save money doing it this way, um, I don't think you're going to see that much change. But you see the Rays, you see Joe Madden kind of, without declaring as much, is kind of doing that. And he's kind of done that before with the Rays, too. Heck, even Lloyd McClendon did that a little bit with Carson Smith a couple of weeks ago where he pitched the eighth inning against the meat of the order because he needed their, his best reliever then. Uh, I don't think that's going to be a permanent thing, but uh, I think it's going to be a long time before we really evolve that because that becomes the norm again. One thing you're not seeing is pitchers pitching multiple innings. Uh, it's, it's, they're just all the, the best relievers are kind of pin, pin, pigeonholed into a one-inning role. So I, I think Randy Jazerly, uh did a little piece in Joe Sheehan's newsletter talking about that. Like Wade Davis, I think, has done like six uh, – like, 40 innings, uh, 40 outings in a row with just one inning, which would be remarkable. Except Greg Holland's gone even longer uh, doing that. It's just Ned Yost has kind of done that. That's just the way baseball is run right now. So until they get into multi-inning roles again, I, I just don't see a, a sea change happening. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Jeff Erickson from RotoWire.com and the SiriusXM Fantasy Sports Daily. And uh, Jeff, I was looking through the RotoWire site the other day. It's a great site, and I noticed you're providing information services for fantasy cricket. So I'll bowl you a googly. How long have you guys been handling fantasy cricket? Uh, I think a little over a year or so, maybe a year and a half. I'll be honest, I'm not that piped into it. Um, we have people, We have. I think we have one guy that's really into it, and he's built up a crew, and I think we have maybe some third-party people that we work with a little bit there. Uh, but I know nothing about cricket. Uh, <laughs> I, I have so much bandwidth, um, so I just know that, like, you know. And the thing is, though, we if there's a fantasy, if there's a fantasy angle that exists, and we can reach an audience, well, and we have someone that can staff it, we'll do it. And uh, that's kind of our philosophy. It's one of the things that you know has kind of been able to separate us from other companies that we can. We, we have, we're able to add on the talent to kind of add to that, to, to be able to cover that. Are you providing services to the people who live in cricket countries, India, Pakistan, Australia, England, or are they mostly uh, expatriates living in the U.S.? The way around. They're providing the info to us <laughs> for the <laughs> most part. Um, and, yeah, I, yeah, again, it's it, we have grown so much, Patrick. Like We're having this conference out here, and just – the, the sheer number of people that came out for this trip this year, it, it's remarkable from, like, say, 10 years ago where we could all fit in one little conference room. Yeah, we had a little opening party last night, and we were 60 people here. It's pretty cool. You also offer Fantasy MMA, and I'm just curious how it works. Uh, we just rolled that out in, in part because DraftKings rolled it out. 
and we have some people that are really into it. Uh, I, I this again. I am not in M- into MMA or boxing or anything like that, or wrestling or any, any of those pursuits. But hey, God bless those that are. Uh, and so uh, we, what <laughs> I let I let my pe- my talented people that know how it works run that. One thing cricket's got over every other sport, I think, is the names of the fielders or what the positions are called, silly mid on and leg side left and all these kind of things. I just love to hear the draft. You know, I'm moving him from silly mid on to stump side forward or whatever. And you're thinking, what the hell's going on here? It's a, it's a, it's an interesting game. I used to live in England and I followed cricket pretty closely. It's a, it's a terrific game and it lends itself really well to a fantasy format because there's so many different ways to, to, for players to acquire stats, you know, with bowling and, and Adding both. Uh, moving on, uh, Jeff, uh, during the season, I always ask our tout, uh, Tuesday tout expert to talk about facts and flukes. And uh, by facts, we mean uh, players who are outliers who are setting a new baseline, and flukes are outliers who probably are going to regress. And uh, we'll move on first to the hitters in the American League. Who's an outlier hitter, and uh, is he a factor of fluke? Okay, outlier hitter in the American League. Let's go ahead and go with. Uh uh, Stephen Boat, guy that uh, didn't even qualify catchers in all, a catcher in a lot of leagues as we started the season, depending on your league requirements. Uh, I think a lot. Uh, some of my savvy friends saw him as a guy that could uh, really be helpful, but not to the extent that he has done so far. Uh, but you know, he. I think it's kind of bankable in one, a few ways. He's you know he slowed down a little bit as he's gotten banged up, and that's what catchers do. But one of the things I really like about uh, him is how much he just pounds right-handers. Uh, and the A's move him accordingly. Now, he does play a little too much against left-handers for my, than I'd like. Uh, but I think you can expect a, a little drop in the batting average over the second half. I think he's mostly a fact. How about in the National League, a hitter who's an outlier, and is he a factor of fluke? Uh, my National League hitter outlier, um, Cameron Mabin. Love seeing the resurgence from him. Needed a change of scenery. Needed to be healthy. Both of those things have worked. The stolen bases are completely legitimate. Uh, I don't know if the, the batting average is going to hold up. Again, this is one of those guys where I'm a little worried about the, uh, a little bit about the, the, the batting eye a little bit, but there's a lot of good things, a, little, a lot of good signs in him. Uh, my friend Jason Gray, a few years ago, was like, hey, Maven's going to put together one of these years. And he, you know, this is, at, you know, He'd kind of seen him a little bit in his scouting days and like got to see him a little bit uh, across his path. But he does have a 340 BABIP, so I think the batting average will drop a little bit. But one of the things I like is he's shown growth in the batting eye. He's gone from a 7% walk rate to a 9.3% walk rate. The strikeout rate has gone down. Getting out of Petco, getting away from the Padres, might have been just what Cameron Maven needed. So I think he's a fact, and I'm just so happy for him that he's actually having a good year. He's having a terrific year, and uh, a lot of his uh, signs are pointed in the right direction, that's for sure. So it, it looks like it could be sustainable. A good, a good choice for kind of an all-around performance. His batting average, uh, you say, is a little high. He's within about 15 points of the BaseballHQ.com metric called expected batting average, which combines line drive rates and hard hit rates and so forth. So he's not grossly outperforming what he's been doing with the bat uh, as far as his results his 34% hit rate notwithstanding. Let's move over to the mound in the American League. Who's an outlier pitcher, and is he a factor of fluke? We mentioned him earlier, but Dallas Keuchel has to be the outlier pitcher. Uh, and I, Gene McCaffrey once said, look for the guys that do things that are extreme, whether it's you know extreme ground. And I'm, I, you know, Gene probably can articulate a lot better, like many things in life you can articulate a lot better. But uh, you know, it's not necessarily that ground balls are equal good or fly balls equal good. But you look for guys at the extreme, uh, and Keiko's certainly there at that. At 4.96 ground ball to fly ball ratio, strikeout rate is up. It was 6.75, 6.57 per nine last year. It's up to 7.5 this year, and more so in the last month and a half. He's getting better, even though the velocity stayed constant. Uh, so he's using his stuff better and better. The walk rate has remained constant as the strikeouts have gone up. You like seeing that, too. He's a fact. And on the National League side, who's an outlier pitcher? Is he a fact or a fluke? Uh, outlier pitcher for me, uh, let's, let's, I've been a bit, kind of the shiny, happy person here, going, finding all the positive. Let's find a good negative guy instead. Uh, and uh, go Steven Strasburg. I mean, even before he got hurt, he was a big dra- drag on people this year. And the, the question is, was he hurt all along, 
or was he, uh, you know, or was there uh, something else going on? Uh, you know, I think he's actually, there, you know, there's a little bit of a buying opportunity for him right now. Uh, his fastball velocity is actually a tick higher than it was last year. And when he comes back from this oblique injury, I think there's a really good buying opportunity on him. So I think his bad start to the season is a fluke. 377 batting average against when balls in play. Uh, the home run rate hasn't, isn't that much different from last year. I think there's a really good opportunity to buy low on him. Okay, so we have three facts. Stephen Vogt, Cameron Mabin, and Dallas Koichel, and a fluke. Uh, Stephen Strasburg maybe a buy-low opportunity. Jeff, uh, tell us where listeners can hear more, read more, get your Twitter feed, and so forth. Sure thing. Uh, of course, uh, you can catch us at rotowire.com. Uh, rotowire.com slash uh, fan, uh, uh, free. You can get a free 10-day trial. Check out everything we have to offer on the site. I do the blog that you mentioned with Steve, uh, Steve Moore and Chris List called Charging the Mound. Um, that, that's kind of not a regular thing, but we're always doing all sorts of blogging things there. You mentioned the radio show, Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Radio. That's on uh, XM87 Sirius 210, the Fantasy Sports Channel. Scott Jensen and I do a podcast every Sunday night. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes or just check us out on the site itself. You'll have links to our daily podcast. I do the Sunday night one. Um, and then, you know, you can follow me on Twitter, at Jeff underscore Erickson, E-R-I-C-K-S-O-N. Uh, I'm, I'm all over the place. A very busy life, and every so often you get to take time out and go to a football draft in Las Vegas. Uh, life is good. Life is always good, Patrick. Thanks a lot. Jeff Erickson is a co-founder of rotowire.com and, as you just heard, uh, appears on SiriusXM's Fantasy Sports Channels 87 on the XM side, 210 on the Sirius side. Uh, next up, our Baseball HQ commentaries, playing time, and frequent flyers coming up next on Baseball HQ Radio. One, one, pitch. He popped him up. He's going to get it. Rochus down from third. Rochus makes the catch. Ball game over. A perfect game. A perfect game for David Cohn. The third time works like a charm. It is the third perfect game in Yankee Stadium history. Baseball HQ Radio. Baseball HQ Radio wants to hear from you. So we've set up a new email address dedicated to Baseball HQ Radio podcast listeners. Send your email to bhqradio, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. Give us your ideas about new features on the podcast or how we can improve the existing features. Ask a question for one of our expert guests, our regular beat reporters, or our commentators. And if you can record your question as an MP3 or Og Vorbis audio file and send it to us as an attachment, we'll put it in the show. And let us know what guests you'd like to hear on Baseball HQ Radio. In short, anything you'd like us to know that would help you enjoy Baseball HQ Radio more, you can let us know by emailing us at bhqradio, all one word, all lowercase, at gmail.com. That's bhqradio at gmail.com. And we look forward to hearing from you. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. BaseballHQ.com is ready to keep you ahead of the game all season long with content across a wide range of great information like our Buyer's Guide Skills Assessment Columns, Performance Validation in Facts and Flukes, Roster Changes in Playing Time Today and Tomorrow, and there's lots more. We also provide daily matchup reports and a daily fantasy dashboard. There's team coverage and minor league scouting. And of course, we have projections and other roster management tools you can use to help you dominate your league. Right now at the site, the speculator column looks at possible second-half trades. In playing time tomorrow, there's a look ahead at possible roster changes. Christopher Olson looking at the American League East, including Brad Boxberger's tenuous hold on the Tampa closer role. Kevin Gosman's hold on a rotation slot in Baltimore. And concerns about Dellen Betance's hold on any role in New York. And in the Starting Pitcher Buyer's Guide, Stephen Nickrand looks at the base performance value leaders of starting pitchers over the last 12 months. And it's all only at the website with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for Winners, BaseballHQ.com. Now it's time for our regular Tuesday commentaries. Coming up, we have our frequent flyers comment. And leading off, it's the playing time segment, where we look at situations that could mean players getting more playing time or less. 
In this week's edition, analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at the closer situation in the National League West. A look forward to the second half reveals a couple potential closer openings in the National League West, most notably in San Francisco and Arizona. Starting off in the Bay Area, we have Hunter Strickland. Strickland has been a force at the major league level with an 11.3 strikeouts per nine at 261 expected ERA and 160 BPV through 20 innings, just closer worthy skills. Strickland's struggles in the postseason last year may have his perceived value down a bit this season, but he sported closer worthy skills in the minors this year and he really hasn't slowed down since. Strickland's potential surge towards a closer role could be helped by Santiago Casillas' struggles this year. Casilla, who's the team's current closer, currently has an ERA above 3 for the first time since 2009, and his typically elite ground ball rate has fallen to 45% this year. Couple that with Sergio Romo, who was the team's closer before Casilla, with a 4.97 ERA, and there could be a door for an opening for Strickland in San Francisco soon. Another guy to keep an eye out for in Arizona is Enrique Burgos. Burgos has quietly flashed excellent skills with the Diamondbacks in the bullpen with a 14.2 strikeouts per 9 and a 149 BPV. Burgos may seem buried in the role thanks to current closer Brad Ziegler's success, but outside of an elite ground ball rate, Ziegler's meager strikeout rate is far from closer worthy. Ziegler could also be a potential trade chip if Arizona decides to sell, which might open that door a bit for Burgos. So check out Hunter Strickland and Enrico Burgos in your deep league free agent pools. Strickland in particular might have a great shot to close in the second half, and both pitchers have a real chance to post some profit for your team down the stretch. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with BaseballHQ.com. Ryan Bloomfield is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has a playing time commentary here at the Baseball HQ Radio podcast every Tuesday. Now it's time for our Frequent Flyers commentary, where we apply BaseballHQ.com tools to pick out players on whom you might want to take a flyer, because they could be available in your free agent pool, and they have the potential to deliver big returns. This week's Frequent Flyers are Jesus Montero, Rob Refsnyder, and Carl Crawford. And here to tell you more is BaseballHQ.com analyst Alex Becky. What will it take for your team to be profitable in the second half of the season? In this week's edition of Frequent Flyers, we'll look at three players who may represent excellent by low opportunities in your league, beginning with Seattle's Jesus Montero, who was the Mariners' prize in the trade that sent pitcher Michael Pineda to the Bronx in 2012. A career 306 hitter in the minors, Montero's batting average has climbed to 332 at AAA Tacoma this year, with 15 home runs and 68 RBI through his first 84 games. Montero batted 342 in June with seven home runs, and he followed that up with a 516 average and two home runs before his call up to the Mariners in July. Yes, Montero has been red hot this season, and he's certainly worth a flyer. However, be sure to exercise caution. Montero has struggled at the big league level, batting only 195 as brief call ups over the past three seasons. Still, with Seattle currently ranking last in the American League in team batting average, the Mariners appear ready to take a risk on Montero. Maybe you should be ready to take that risk too. Now on to New York. Our second frequent flyer debuted last weekend for the Yankees. His first two games in pinstripes, outfielder and second baseman Rob Refsnyder batted 286, including a game-winning home run at Fenway. According to BaseballHQ.com's Jeremy Deloney, writing in the July 7th through 13th edition of call-ups, Ref Snyder is a natural hitter who combines above-average plate discipline with a level stroke to hit for a high batting average. Indeed, prior to his call-up, Ref Snyder was batting .290 at AAA with 5 home runs and 10 steals. His .387 on-base percentage also ranks second in the Air National League this season. However, please remember that Rob Refsnyder, like all of our frequent flyers, are long shots who may be worth a flyer if they are available in your league. Because the Yankees are the only team in Major League Baseball batting below the Mendoza line at second base with a paltry 190 batting average, you knew a change was likely coming soon. Although Steven Drew has 12 home runs at the break, his 182 batting average won't fly for a full season in New York if the Yankees want to return to the postseason. Take a flyer on Ref Snyder if he's available. Finally, our last frequent flyer takes us to Los Angeles, where outfielder Carl Crawford is getting close to returning from a strained oblique. 
Sure, from a fantasy perspective, everything seems to be working against Crawford. He'll be 34 next month, and he hasn't played since April 27th. Not to mention, Andre Ethier has played very well in his absence. But let's not forget that Crawford batted 333 after the All-Star break last season with four home runs and 13 steals. Besides, with the MLB trade deadline fast approaching and the Dodgers in first place, what if the Dodgers are showcasing Ethier for a possible trade? Of course, any trade at this point may be pure speculation, but Crawford's situation does present a unique buy-low opportunity. After all, a baseball forecaster projected that Crawford will earn $30 in the second half of this season. While it's important to temper expectations, what if Crawford earns $15 in the second half? Starting from zero, wouldn't that represent a healthy profit? And if your team wants to earn more healthy profits in the second half, be sure to check out Jesus Montero, Rob Refsnyder, and Carl Crawford, our frequent flyers for this week. For Baseball HQ Radio, I'm Alex Becky of BaseballHQ.com. Alex Becky is an analyst at BaseballHQ.com and has our frequent flyers comment here on Baseball HQ Radio on Tuesday every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, July the 14th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 42 of the 2015 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our guest for this Tuesday Tout Edition from Sirius XM Fantasy Sports Today and the co-founder of rotowire.com, Jeff Erickson, one of the nicest guys in a business full of them and a really astounding success both in the business of fantasy baseball and in playing the game. I also want to thank our regular commentators from Baseball HQ. Our playing time commentator was Ryan Bloomfield, and our frequent Flyers commentator was Alex Becky. I'm Patrick Davitt. I have a Master Notes column at the BaseballHQ.com website for free, looking at my first half fantasy all-stars. Go check that out. Of course, I always hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can stay in contact with Baseball HQ on Facebook, and we have a Twitter feed at BaseballHQ. I also have a personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt. And we have our Gmail account, bhqradio at gmail.com. Send us an email with a question or a comment. We'll add you to the list to be the first to know when a new podcast is available. More importantly, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. It really does help keep the podcast going. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our regular news and notes edition featuring Todd Zola. That's the next edition of the podcast with fantasy baseball intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.